A reading from Genesis. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to till it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you may freely eat of every tree of the garden, but not of the tree of knowledge. But not of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall die. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other wild animal that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God say you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, nor shall you touch it or you shall die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A reading from Romans. As sin came into the world through one man, and death came through sin, and so death spread to all because all have sinned. Sin was indeed in the world before the law, but sin is not reckoned when there is no law. Yet death exercised dominion from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sins were not like the transgression of Adam, who is a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass, for if the many died through the one man's trespass, much more surely have the grace of God and the free gift is the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for the many. And the free gift is not like the effect of the one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brings justification. If because of the one man's trespass, death exercised dominion through that one, much more surely will those who receive, much more surely will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness exercise dominion in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, just as one man's trespass led to condemnation for all, so one man's act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all. For just as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteousness. righteous. The word of the Lord. After Jesus was baptized, he was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was famished. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus answered, It is written, 
One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And then the devil took him to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor and said to him, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. And then the devil left him and suddenly angels came and waited on him. The Gospel of the Lord. Knowledge, we humbly beseech you, a lamb of your own flock, sheep of your own fold, a sinner of your own redeeming. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Welcome to Lent. And before us, we have, I think, two stories that are meant to pair one another and to help us really frame the Lenten journey that we are going to be on the next 44 days. Of course, it's 44 because Sundays don't count and we started on Wednesday, right? So, so you're thinking 40, but you get 44. Um, these stories initially, you know, I, I, I guess it depends how we read them, what they have to say with each other. You know, when we read the story of the garden, I guess it's really tempting for us to think that the snake is the devil, the red guy with the horns and the spade tail who is there to lie to the people and get them to do the wrong thing and lose life. And I suppose if that's how we read the story, beware of snakes. <laughs> beware of talking snakes and um, beware of talking snakes that offer you produce, last of all, right? <laughs> Most of us got that covered for Lent. Good, okay. Um, then there's a the story about Jesus, you know, and, and again, it's tempting because after all we've grown up hearing that the devil is the red guy with the horns and the spade tail who smells kind of like sulfur and can play a mean fiddle and he shows up with Jesus and he says I'm glad somebody got that okay so he shows up and he says Jesus you're God and we both know it so Jesus you're real hungry why don't you make some bread and apparently that's the temptation. It, the Bible explains to us Jesus was famished, which, which I think makes sense because he didn't eat for 40 days, right? And, and, you know, really when you hear that story read that way, I mean, is there anything wrong with eating food when you're hungry? It actually seems like that's a good choice. And then the devil says, and Jesus would have had to be 12, not 30 for this to be tempting, right? Jump off a high building and you'll float down, you know? Uh, the 12-year-old boys would love to do that, or, or maybe 23-year-old boys. Anyway, um, it doesn't really seem like that great of a temptation to me, you know, to jump off the Empire State Building and float down. It'd be kind of cool, but I'm not really sure how it would be so wrong. And then, you know... I just got to really struggle. If Jesus is God, why would he be tempted to become a Satan worshiper? You know, because doesn't he know that God ultimately like wins and has power and stuff, right? So, so these temptations, if we read them at that kind of face value level, first of all, aren't very tempting, right? I mean, I wouldn't be tempted to do two or the three of them. And, 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 and beyond that, I don't really know how it helps us at our Lenten journey. So, so I want to see if we can look at them in a different way, if that's okay, and, and find out ways they might be tempting for Jesus and, and, and ways that, frankly, they might inform the way we look at temptations this Lent. 
I know it's, we've already had a long litany and you're probably thinking, short sermon, short sermon, short sermon. <laughs> we'll see, okay, we'll see. This might be your Lenten penitence is having to put up with this whole service. Okay, well, let's go back to the garden if we can because, you know, this is frankly one of the weirdest stories that there is in the Bible, particularly if you pay really careful attention to it. And, and it's helpful to say a few things. In Hebrew, when you read the story, you know, we, we read the translation and it says, you can't touch the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And a lot of us hear the story and we think, look, this is when people developed a conscience. Before then, people didn't know any better, but that isn't even true. They knew not to eat from the tree, right? So they knew the difference between doing what was good and what was bad. No, in Hebrew, this word is really interesting. It's called the tree of knowledge. And Hebrew says that knowledge is good and evil. Now, that doesn't take a lot of reflection to figure out, right? We value knowledge, but sure enough, knowledge can be very creative and it can be very, very destructive. Think of nuclear fission. It's a pretty interesting thing to understand, pretty terrifying, right? In fact, the world today, ourselves included, still worried about what people will do with knowledge. And, interestingly enough, not only is that different, knowledge between right and wrong and knowing in general. Look at what happens in the story. God tells the man, you can have anything you want, but don't eat that fruit, because on the day you do it, you'll die. Well, that isn't even true. Have you noticed? When the people eat from the fruit, they don't die. Not that day. They don't. And look what happens when the snake talks to Eve, and of course in the Bible, by the way, this is not a devil. People didn't believe in the devil when this story was written. It's a talking snake. Again, another takeaway. Avoid talking snakes, devil or not. Um, the talking snake says to the woman, can you eat from any tree? And she says, we can eat any tree except the tree of knowledge. We can't even touch it. You've got to wonder, where'd she get that idea from? God didn't say anything about not touching it. Did she make it up or did Adam, the man, did he tell her the wrong thing? Already something's not going right. The snake tells the honest truth. Don't you want to know? You've got life, but don't you want to know like God knows stuff? Eat that fruit and you will know things and you won't die. And by the way, if there's not been on death on earth, right, what does death even mean? So this is kind of a strange story, right? Because sure enough, like really good folks do, she looks at knowledge and she wants it. And she takes it. And the follow-up's even better, you know, because when she gets knowledge, the first thing she realizes is that she's naked and that nakedness is something to be ashamed of. So look what the knowledge does, right? It tells them they're not wearing clothes and that not wearing clothes is a bad thing. And so that the first thing that the man and the woman get from their knowledge is fear and shame of their bodies and of one another. Interestingly enough, just a little footnote here, the rabbis read this story and they say, in marriage, the man and the woman come back together and they are naked and they are unashamed. And marriage is the way that undoes this story. Just interesting footnote, right? So they hide. And the story 
proceeds. And God says, God comes looking for the people and can't find them because they're hiding because they're naked. And God says, where are you? And they say, well, we're hiding because we're naked. And God says, who told you you were naked? Because nobody knows naked except God, right? Did you eat that fruit? And the man says, this is so great. The man says, God, the woman you made gave it to me. (laughs) And God says to the woman, did you do that? God, the snake you made gave it to me. And what's interesting, again, is I think this story is telling us a little bit about knowledge, for one thing, and the effects of knowledge. And I think it's showing us, right, that, and this was my experience in school, too, at a certain point, you know enough, and when you make a mistake, it's somebody else's fault. (laughs) I just follow the recipe, you know. Uh, that scholar in the book, I was just doing, he said, right, does not me. You know, you gave me the book, teacher. I don't know why you're mad that I read it that way, right? In some ways, what's interesting about knowledge is that the people are yet to have knowledge of repentance. I think the other thing that's true, particularly of my life, and, and consider whether it's yours, if I am forced to choose between knowledge and life, I will almost always pick knowledge instead of life. And here's proof of that story. Someone's at a setting and they say, I've got this story to tell you. Nope, never mind, I shouldn't tell you that story. And the first thing we say is, no, 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 you've got to tell me the story now. <laughs> but, it's, but it's not a good story. I really shouldn't tell you. No, you already said you've got it. You've got to tell it to me. And we know, we know life will be taken at the end of that story. But we've got to know. We've got to know. And we pick knowledge over life more often. And I think there's something else really interesting about this story because we know that knowledge is a really great thing to have, but notice this is not the tree of wisdom. It's the tree of knowing. And of course, knowledge without wisdom leads to death. Knowledge with wisdom and with relationship leads to life. And notice that the woman takes the knowledge in such a way that she damages relationships. And I think we're to be warned against that. She gets what she wants, but she does it in such a way that the relationship between her and God is now estranged. And any time we estrange ourselves from one person, I think the story warns us, we estrange ourselves from other people, including the snake, including the man. I think it's a caution for us at the beginning of Lent, which, by the way, is why we did that whole long thing at the beginning, to rethink what we're comfortable with, how it is we go about getting what we think we want. And I think that's exactly what the story of Jesus is about as well. See, at the time of Jesus, the Jewish nation was suppressed by Rome, forced to pay exorbitant taxes, They were looking for a deliverer. And the deliverer they wanted was going to be someone called the Messiah, which in Greek means Christ. That's the word. Christ means Messiah. And all it means is anointed one. What kind of people were anointed before Jesus? David, Saul, and every other king that was. And what they wanted was a king who would be at the head of an army who would fight their way to freedom. And what did they expect beyond winning? Well, they expected that hunger would go away. Because after all, right, when you control resources and you're not paying exorbitant taxes, you can feed everybody in your place. 
They expected that the Messiah would show up in a splendiferous way. I know that's not a word. They expected that he would have a sign to the people. And do you know where everybody looked for God? was in the temple. So you imagine somebody jumping off a high building and floating down. Now that's the Messiah. Dramatic. Nobody would have questioned his credentials. And they expected that he wouldn't just beat Rome. They expected that the Messiah would institute God's law on earth. Going all the way from Spain, they thought that was the edge of the world, right? You'd fall off if you kept going after that. And all the way over to maybe as far as India. That's somewhat the known world. And here's Jesus. He's faced with the temptations to be really a good leader if you're Jewish, right? If you're Jewish, you would like all of those things to happen. And so now comes the devil, which in Hebrew means something like (laughs) the spirit to settle for something that is good instead of choosing something that is better. And I did not make that up. The spirit of settling comes to Jesus and says, Hey, Jesus, don't you want to be the Messiah, the Son of God? By the way, we think Son of God, and we think, Oh, Jesus is the Son of God, like God's Son. But you know, in the Bible, Son of God means favored by God. So that David, throughout the Psalms, is called the Son of God. The Messiah is the Son of God. Not literal, it's a title meaning favored by God. And here comes the spirit of settlement. Don't you want to be the favored one of God? Listen. There's a lot of rocks here. Turn them into bread. You'd get rid of world hunger right like that. They're not a good thing to do. And Jesus says, you know, (laughs) we don't live by bread alone. I don't know exactly what that means, except I suppose that if God solved all of our problems for us, we wouldn't have to. And I'm not sure there's anything in that for us, except for... God becomes our ultimate servant and slave instead of us serving one another. I'm not sure that's a really good way to start our Lenten journey, God satisfying everything we could ever ask for. No, I think our Lenten journey is us taking care of the world in new ways. Then the spirit of settlement says, jump off the temple. You know you won't get hurt. In fact, everyone will know you're the Messiah. Everybody will know it and they will follow you. Nothing wrong with that. He is the Messiah, right? Except the interesting response from Jesus. You know, this is the hardest thing about faith. Don't put the Lord God to the test. Golly, you know, I think the number one thing that I like to test is whether or not God's real. Do you ever find yourself trying to make that test? But God, if you're real, help me with this thing. God, if you're real, give me a sign. My aunt is sick. Make my aunt better. God, if you're real, and there's other ways we say it. If you heal my aunt, I'll become a nun. God, I'll give you the rest of my life. God, if you let me get an A on that test, I will become a monk or even worse, a priest. Right? This is the kind of thing we say. Show me that you're real. So that I don't have to trust it on my own. Truth is, that wouldn't even work, right? Because tomorrow we'd want another sign. We'd want another one. And you know this mathematically, right? 
how many examples does it take to prove a rule? Infinite. Infinite. And how many counterexamples does it take to disprove a rule? Of course, this one. No, and then the third one cannot be understood as Jesus being tempted to be a Satanist. He's God. Why would that be tempting to him? No, this has to be about method. Jesus, do it my way. Do it the way people want. It'll be good. You'll be in control. When you're in charge, you can make sure that the laws are just and right. And here's how you're going to do it. You're going to kill the infidel. You're going to kill anybody in your way. You're going to march the armies across the world and you're going to establish peace on earth with the sword. (laughs) Interesting, isn't it? Maybe what the settler is saying is the ends justify the means. The ends justify the means. So look, I've got a great end in mind and we've got a great plan to do it, so let's go. Maybe the reason Jesus is different from the woman and from the man in Genesis is because he resists that kind of thinking. Maybe the difference between Jesus and the woman and the man is the difference we all actually live, or at least I live. The world is not really a black and white place for me. I rarely choose between virtue and sin. I rarely choose between loving my neighbor and killing them. No, usually I live in a pretty gray world, quite honestly. And most of my temptation is about choosing what's good instead of choosing what's best. Choosing what's good for me at that moment, or choosing what's best for my people at that moment, instead of choosing what is better for all people. And of course, if you're like me, I mean, this is confession after all, right? I often find myself thinking, you know, sometimes when you're making an omelet, you got to break a few eggs. And I wonder if Jesus isn't asking us at the beginning of Lent to say, let's think through that again. I wonder if that isn't why that litany we came into is so long. And so seemingly repetitive to poke us into considering have we accepted that this way of life that we do things in is God's way when there might be a bigger and better way? The truth is, sin is extremely beneficial to some people for some time. But the snake is a little bit wrong, after all, because sin leads to death. Sin leads to death. Maybe not immediately. Sure did kill the relationship between the man and the woman. Sure did hurt the relationship between the man, woman, and God. And I wonder, at the beginning of Lent, If all of this isn't here for us to consider how we can relate to one another in ways that are truly life-giving at nobody else's expense. If we rethink that, 
I'm pretty sure God would deliver us from what's good and bring us to what's better.